0: To John the 10th chapter sound booth we're gonna go with number one I came in here today and God was talking to my heart all week and he had two messages on my heart and I was like God what do you want to say to us this morning I've been going back and forth and I just feel like I could probably preach both of them but you'd hate me by the time we finished because we'd get out of here at like I don't know two o'clock so we're just gonna go with one of them everyone can take a deep breath okay. but I feel like God wants to encourage someone this morning and maybe do something a little deeper in our hearts is that okay John 10 and verse 10 says that the thief cometh not how many know there's a thief there is an enemy there is an enemy that is coming against our hearts and our souls and jesus speaks of this enemy and he calls him a thief and he says the thief cometh not but for to steal everyone say steal that's what he's up to and to kill say kill and to destroy say destroy That's the enemy of your soul, but you have an advocate. Jesus finishes that sentence by saying, I am come, and let's personalize this this morning, that you or I might have life, but not just life. Everyone go like this. It's good to be alive today. But Jesus didn't come just to put breath in your lungs. He came to give you abundant life. He came to bring joy and instill it in places where there are no joy. He came to take the broken places inside of us and make us whole. He came to become the life that we've always wanted but have never been able to get a grasp on. He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have a better life, an abundant life, a life that is full of healing and freedom. So let's just pray one more time I want to preach to you on this title today life can begin again Jesus we invite you one more time to have your way here today I pray that the Holy Ghost would minister to our hearts today I know that we've already sang and we've already lifted up some needs in prayer today but God you're wanting to go deeper in our hearts today and I pray that we would be open and willing and that we would be focused right now in this moment not on anything else but on what you're trying to speak to us today that Lord there could be some seeds planted in our heart that will spring forth to abundant life we're asking this today in the name of Jesus everyone say in Jesus name now let's clap our hands to Jesus one more time as we're seated here today we worship you Jesus we thank you Jesus we glorify you today and we worship you today amen it's good to see the Man Up Adventures alumni that are here today i give honor to you and uh, again to your pastor it's great to have my wife Scotia and our baby Eowyn Grace Thompson with us and uh, it's So good to be here with you today. The death of Jesus was devastating to those that followed him. It was devastating to the 12 that he had called. And the Bible does give us a look into what that looked like as Jesus called men, ordinary men like you and I, away from their everyday life to follow him. It was so devastating, in fact, that only one of the disciples, John, is even mentioned being near the cross as Jesus died. I can't imagine what it was like for John who is called the beloved, the closest maybe of the 12 to Jesus. I can't imagine what it would be like to be there and to see someone that's on the same level as a loved one being crucified in an awful, terrible Roman way. The Bible says that the death of Jesus scattered all of the disciples. It was so devastating. Matthew, the 26th chapter and the 31st verse, Jesus foretold this scattering. He, it says, Then saith Jesus unto his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. It rattled rattled some of the disciples so much that some of them even went back to doing and being who they were before Jesus met them. As we see in John 21, where some of them were out fishing. You see, when you study... And you understand what it meant to be called to follow a rabbi in the Jewish culture. You understood what it meant for these men to follow Jesus. A little insight on that would show us, and I'm going to speak in very general terms. But at about the age we would send our kids to kindergarten. And for that entire elementary school time period, period, those kids were taught the Torah and they memorized what we now know as the first five books of the Bible in the canon. And at the end of that elementary school time, what would happen was the best and the brightest of those kids were separated out and the rest were sent back to become the tradesmen and to apprentice with their fathers at home. And the best and the brightest of those kids would now enter into another term similar to what we would call middle school where for another four or five years they would study underneath these rabbis and they would receive further instruction. And then at the end of that time, at the time when we would be graduating into our four years of high school, the best and the brightest of the best and the brightest were separated out. And they were the ones that would study and follow underneath the rabbi. So when Jesus shows up on the scene to a bunch of fishermen and he calls them to follow him, they are re-realizing a dream that a long time ago had been forsaken because it was every Jewish boy's dream to follow the rabbi and to become a rabbi. And so the very fact that Peter and his brother were sitting in a fishing boat tells us that they didn't make the cut the first time around. But this man named Jesus comes walking up and he is a rabbi and he's considered a rabbi and he calls them to follow him and they literally leave everything and it's why we see them in an instant leaving their nets, walking away from their boats and everything that they own to follow the man named Jesus. And so when he died, it was devastating to them because that dream seemed lost. And so when he died, some of them lived in fear. The Bible recounts them uh, meeting behind locked doors in John 20 and 19 out of the public eye for fear that as followers of Christ, they would also be crucified. You see, I'd like to draw a parallel in our lives this morning to moments like that. I don't know about you and your life, but there are moments in my life where I have suffered devastating losses. I have suffered blows that seemingly cripple me, not only as a Christian, but as a human being. Things that we just don't know if we're ever going to recover from. Things that kill something inside of you. One of those moments for me happened on August the 6th, 2009, where I was working as a manager at a Walmart. And the short of the story simply was that there was uh, some of my employees who were unloading a truck and it had been hot. It was August. It was the first week of August and there was no air conditioning in the back room and it was a tight, cramped back room and when you get a bunch of men in a back room like that all sweating and working hard it's easy for tempers to flare and that took place that night. And as I was getting ready to dismiss these men for their break time, one of them got in a tussle with another man, and the man hit this other man. And the man who had been hit pulls a gun out, and he shoots the man who hit him right over the left eye from as far away as Dean to myself. And I'm sitting there watching a man die. And I didn't grow up in a home where I saw physical abuse, and I'm thankful for that. But seeing that situation took something out of me. I remember them flying in grief counselors to meet with me and the small team of employees that were back there that I managed. And we were able to meet with the top grief counselors in the United States and we were able to sit down with these people but I still remember walking away from that and not being able to sleep for a few nights just replaying that situation over in my mind what could have I done differently to to like stop this and it killed something inside of me we face sometimes seasons in our lives that we just seem to come to this screeching sudden halt and we wonder where life is taking us and we wonder where we went wrong and we wonder where all the promise of life went. Am I the only one that's ever had a situation like that in my life? And that's where Jesus' disciples were that day. They were scared. They were wondering what the future had in store for them. Yet if there was ever a moment, I believe, Jesus was beginning to show us the deeper parts of who he was, I think it was a moment like this, and in a moment... Like this, in the midst of their despair and their darkness, in the middle of their fear and wondering, I believe that God Himself, through His death on the cross, was orchestrating a miracle to show them and to show us here this morning that out of the ashes of brokenness and death and hurt and pain, life can begin again. Life can start over when things seem like they've been broken down, like you're never coming back like there's never going to be reconciliation in that relationship. God can take the broken pieces of who we are and he can resurrect life out of those situations and life can begin again. See, when you begin to study the events that led up to the body of Jesus being laid to rest in a tomb you begin to see a clear picture of how the enemy of our soul seeks to come against our own hearts. We read it at the beginning. The enemy of your soul has one agenda and one agenda only, and that is to eliminate you from the hope of eternity. And that's why we get the question in life, why do good or bad things happen to good people? And of course, the first question I always want to ask in those moments but never do because it would be the worst time ever is why do you think you're good? But that's not the time to take uh, take people into a Bible study that says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and we're all self-deceived. Okay, that's a Bible study for a different time. But we have been born into a world that is wracked with sin and bad things happen to good people not because god is up in heaven authoring those situations they happen to us because we live in a world that is tainted and polluted by sin and sinful people who do things to hurt one another and the enemy of our soul is behind all that he comes to steal to kill and to destroy And so leading up to the last few hours of Jesus' life, I believe that when we study that time period, we can learn about how the enemy comes against our hearts. Let's start by examining the last hours of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion. Leading up to the moment where his body quit working and he gave up the spirit and died, we recognize that Jesus, our Savior, endured much pain. Has anybody ever endured any pain in your life? Any negative situations? Sensing he was in his final hours, Jesus sought the solitude of the garden of Gethsemane. It was there that he grappled in prayer, deep into the night, with the foreknowledge of the excruciating agony that he would face on that Roman cross. It was also in that garden, and you can read about this in Luke 22 and 44, that many biblical scholars and medical uh, professionals would tell us that the full weight of the sin of humanity was cast upon his human body, causing him to sweat great drops of blood, which is a very painful and real condition. The agony Jesus faced was real. Just two verses later, we read of Jesus experiencing the sting of betrayal as Judas. One of the 12 disciples disciples that he had called and invested three and a half years of his life in had approached him and had become Judas the traitor and had turned his back on him, ultimately leading to his death. And so he felt that sting of betrayal all for the cost of 30 pieces of silver. Then as if facing betrayal and feeling the crushing weight of my sin and your sin wasn't enough, Jesus experienced the physical trauma of beatings and scourgings that emphatically and eventually concluded with three nails on a cross and death by suffocation. The final hours of Jesus' life were plagued by heartbreak of every kind. And each of these moments contributed and culminated in his death. Then the death of Jesus was sealed. As he was taken down from the cross and he was laid in a dark tomb, a place void of all forms of life. And a stone was rolled in front of the mouth of the tomb. A stone that brought a certain finality and brought a certain certainty to his death. A stone that stood to separate things living from things dead. But a barrier between what was dead and the living that were left behind was not enough for Jesus' enemies. I'm getting ready to go somewhere, so stay with me. Matthew 27 and 44 records the enemies of Jesus approaching Pontius Pilate and saying, Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come, and steal his body away at night, right? Why? Because they remember Jesus saying, in three days, everything that you thought was dead and broken is going to come walking out of that grave. I will rise again. I will tear this temple down, and I will rebuild it, in three days and so it wasn't enough for the enemy to put Jesus on the cross. No, the enemy was responsible for rolling a stone in front of that tomb. And let's continue to read. It wasn't enough for that to take place, but orders were given for the stone that barred the opening of the tomb to be guarded, lest life should ever return from the barren places of death. When I see this, when I see this stone rolled in front of a place to keep the dead where the dead are and living out, out of the way and I see a guard being placed around it I can't but help be reminded that you and I have an enemy of our soul. Satan is an enemy that will seek to destroy and to kill and he will stop at nothing to guard the wounded places of your heart, to build walls up and to roll stones in front of the places inside of you that you've given up for dead. And he will set a guard on those areas because he knows that if you should ever allow the light of the Holy Ghost to break through those barriers, that life would return to places in your heart that have been dead and broken for a long time the tomb Jesus dead body the utter darkness of the hour they were all a direct result of calculated plans of an evil one to destroy to kill to steal Satan was seeking to wrestle control away from God. There's a beauty in being transparent. In fact, today you'd get nothing out of this service if I just stood up here in front of you in my fancy suit that has coffee stains down here, bottom of this right pant leg. And pretended that the reason I'm up here on this platform is because I live a perfect and holy life and I have never done anything to ever offend God or anybody else. That's a lie. And the fact of the matter is, is that we all here today have wounds in our hearts. And if you tell yourself you don't, you're deceived. Because there comes a day and a time Where those things that we've locked away for a long time start to bubble up to the surface and we start to lose the hope and the swagger and the pride that we had where we thought we knew it all and we thought we knew where we were headed and we end up, maybe it's at age 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 or even 40. Maybe it's a little later in life if those things have been locked away really tight. But we come to this point in time in our lives where we wonder what this is all about and all the cerebral knowledge in the world doesn't do us any good if there's nothing that's changed in our hearts it doesn't matter what you know up here it has to make a transfer down into here and when we come into a place like this and we carry all these things with us that maybe we don't even know are inside of us and we come into church and then we leave church and we're still the same way we gain a propensity of thinking that we're okay because nothing has changed but there was a spirit that flooded through here on that last song that I felt and I felt some tears in my eyes and I was once again reminded that there is a God who knows you better than you know yourself and he sees the things that lurk inside and he understands the places that we've locked away inside. He sees the addictions he sees the sin he sees the hurt, he sees the wounds, he sees the words that a brother or sister spoke to you that should have never said that because we're all in the church. He sees the baggage that we carry and he's here today to say, let me roll a stone away from your heart, and let me flood those places in your heart with my spirit so that life can begin again in your life. If you believe that, clap your hands to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus. So over the course of our lives, we've all been targeted with attacks from the enemy, And I'm not trying to force you to drag them out into the open, not not at all. That's a choice you have to decide to make. When my wife and I got married, we made a choice with one another and we made a decision and that decision was we dubbed it no shadows. And what no shadows means is simply this. I faced addiction before I got married. And I realized that if there were things in my heart that were unconfessed, you know that place in the Bible in James that says, confess your faults one to another, and it effectually goes on to say that you might be healed, I started putting that into practice in my life because I had been waltzing around in my fancy suits way too long, making everyone think that I had it together when I didn't really have it together. And I'd walk into the back of the church and I'd hear that voice saying, hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. I remember sitting on a plane flying from Denver to New York City and I was sitting next to a lady and she wanted to know why I was flying to New York and I started talking about ministry. And she said, I know I need to get my heart right with God. I know I got to get my heart right with God, I know God is real, I believe that the Word of God is is real, I've seen God do things in people's lives, but every time I get together with my relatives at Thanksgiving who claim to be Christian, I hear what they say they are, but then I watch them and their actions don't match up with what they're living. And I almost just broke down into tears, help us God to never be the people who walk in and walk out and nothing ever changes because we build walls up around our hearts because we. don't want so-and-so to think that we're this or that or whatever. I'm trying to 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 just pull for your heart today and say, Let God roll a stone away this morning. Let God tear a wall down. You don't need to have it all together when you come into church. You can leave your burdens right here at an altar today before we're finished. Because the enemy has leveled attacks at your heart over your life. Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, it talks about spiritual warfare, and it says Satan shoots fiery darts of the enemy, and he shoots those darts with precision. And he doesn't care how young or how old you are. He's coming for your heart. And he doesn't attack in the moments where you're the strongest. He waits till you're the weakest when no one's around and he fires a dart. And because of that, each of us here bear wounds in our heart. We have wounds from addictions. We have wounds in our hearts from abuse, whether physical or verbal or sexual abuse. We have wounds in our hearts from divorce or rejection, from fatherlessness or from having an absent father. We have wounds in our lives from poverty. We have wounds in our lives from childhood wounds, from sexual shame, from all the things that come with the world that we live in. And so each of the wounds that you carry were a result of these attacks against your heart by Satan. Attacks made with deadly precision at just the right time when you were the weakest calculated attacks to kill your heart. How do I know? Because I bear the scars in my own heart of those attacks. And I'm here to tell you today that you don't need to live under the weight of regret that I lived under for years sitting on the pew of a Pentecostal church. You can roll the stone away. You can take the mask off and you can find healing today at an altar in your life and you can know for yourself that life can begin again, that there is a God who loves you and who is interested in you, who wants to come and follow through on his promise when he said, I make all things new. What do we do with the dead places in our hearts? Well, what's the natural thing that we do with dead things? We bury them so we don't have to look at them or smell them or show them to the world. And we roll big stones in front of them. We hide them in the darkest places of our heart. And then we build walls around those places. The stone that walled off Jesus' tomb was placed there as a barrier between life and death. It was placed there to keep the pain and the darkness of death sealed deep inside and out of view. And that stone, it represents the walls that we have allowed to be built around those wounded, indebted places in our own hearts. Walls constructed to provide separation between the pain of those places and the memories of those places. Walls built to provide a barrier between our wounded places and the places of life. You wouldn't have wanted to come visit me when I was a single man. Well, it, I hosted a small group, so I pastored as a single guy for two and a half years before God upgraded me. And our church was desperate for it because I was a really bad women's group leader, Dean. <laughs> and so God heard the prayer of the women in our church, and she gave, God gave our church a pastor's wife. And, but before I was married, I would host small groups at my little one-bedroom apartment. And so the way my apartment worked is I had a bathroom that you had to go through the kitchen to get to. <laughs> and then I had a, a bedroom off on the other side, and then I had, like, this living room, which was, like, bigger than all the other rooms put together. And so I had these double uh, double door closets on the other side of my living room. And so when it was Wednesday night, and it was time for small group, and I had just been living really hard all week, and I had it, which is code, code word for never cleaning anything up, And it was like 6.30 and small groups started at 7. I would just be running around my apartment and I'd have those doors open. And I'd just be throwing things from across the room into those doors. And when I finally got everything in, I'd shut those doors. Well, there came that moment where someone walked over to the door because they were confused in my very confusing apartment layout as to where the bathroom was. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I got there just in time. Because had that door opened, this poor unsuspecting woman would have been buried underneath last week's stuff that never got properly taken care of. Hello? But when we look in our hearts, we have a closet, a lot of us, that symbolizes the closet in my bachelor pad, where if the door was ever open, what would come out would not only shock us, but we would be ashamed, and I'm here to tell you this today. I live for years of my life with that closet in my heart, and one day, God got a hold of me, and I didn't care who was there, and I walked down to an old altar, and I allowed God to let me uh, roll that that stone away because he needs our permission. He's never going to do it for us. We've got to do it willingly under our own volition. And he started taking care of the things in that closet that I didn't want anybody to see. Matthew 27 and 65 documents Pilate speaking to the enemies of Jesus. They've killed Jesus. But that wasn't enough. And so they come to Pilate, and they say unto him, can we set a watch or a guard on this tomb that Jesus is in? And Pilate says to them, you have a watch. Go your way. And I love this. I love that this is in there. You know nothing's in the word of God by accident, right? Right. Read this with me, okay? Make it as sure as you can. Go ahead and do your best. Just do your best. I mean, whatever, whatever you can throw at it, just throw it at it. Make that tomb as, as secure as you possibly can. Who was it that made sure that the entrance of the tomb was sealed as tight as possible? The same people the same enemy who is responsible for Jesus' death. Matthew 27 and 63 reveals the enemy's motive behind guarding the tomb. Sir, we remember that Jesus said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Need I remind us again, that the enemies that have inflicted those wounds in the deepest part of your heart, that same enemy is also trying right now in this moment, as I speak to you, to guard those places in your heart. And he's guarding them with everything he can. Because he is wondering and he is shaking in fear about what would happen if you allowed those places to be opened up and God took the addictions away or healed the hurt in your heart. He's wondering with fear about what kind of impact you would have on your world when you came bursting out of that tomb with new life in your body and in your heart and in your spirit. I'm here to tell someone today that the reason we struggle over and over and over again is because we have an enemy who's scared to death about a delivered version of who we are, about the impact we would make in our lives and at our jobs and in our families. Because Satan's trying to wrestle away control for your heart. And so he does everything he can to get in the way of healing, of restoration, of resurrection. And that's the same reason he guarded Jesus too. Because for three days it seemed like he had control. For three days it seemed like he had the upper hand. For three days, hell was throwing a party. The Bible says that on the third day, life came again. And that's the same life that Jesus wants to deposit into us today. I'm, I'm going to be done in a few minutes, but I have a couple more points I want to make, so stick, stick with me for just a few more minutes. You see, John, in John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus approached Jesus by night And he had big questions. And Jesus' answer to his big question was, if you want to see the kingdom of God, or for the sake of this sermon, if you want to experience life more abundantly, you need to be born again. You need to have a resurrection experience in your life, is what Jesus was saying. And Nicodemus, as learned as he was, asked Jesus a question that maybe I would have asked Jesus. How can I, as a grown man, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? What he was asking Jesus was, how can my life start over? And I wasn't there, but sometimes I read this and I get this feeling like he's asking that question wistfully. Like, Jesus, how can my life begin again? There's so much water under the bridge. There's so much regret in my life. There's so many things I wish wouldn't have happened, or I wish this would have worked out, or I wish I never would have been there or done that. How can I start over again? Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2 say, "'In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake.'" I love that. I'll talk about that in just a second. "'For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it.'" "'There was a great earthquake.'" I've never experienced an earthquake but one thing that earthquakes do is they shake the foundations of things. They shake things in a way that can cause walls to fall or stones to roll. And the Bible says that when the presence of heaven came down to earth, that an earthquake took place. And you might have not felt anything quaking a minute ago when we were worshiping, but I'm here to tell you that the presence of God was here. And he was working and he was moving in our lives. And I'm simply appealing to you today in your state of humanity as I am in today we need a God to shake down some things in our lives we need a God to help us break down some walls and roll some stones away because I need more than just an average Sunday morning experience with God I need God to come in and resurrect some things in my heart that have been long lost as dead And so there was a great earthquake, and the angel came down. You see, life can begin again, but before resurrection ever happens, the stone has to be rolled away. We can come to church and we can say, "I expected God to do this in my life, but God is sitting in heaven saying, "You never gave me the right away. You never let me roll the stone away. You never took a step or lifted a, or lifted a hand and surrender. You want me to do all the work, but you're unwilling to meet me halfway." And so stones must be rolled away before we can experience the God that the Bible talks about. We have to give him access to who we are. And so before resurrection can happen, stones must be rolled away and walls must come down before the same power that raised Christ from the dead can jumpstart our heart. God needs total access to the broken places inside But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And why is it hard? Well, verse 2 says that there was this great earthquake and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. What's missing here from this account? Where are the guards? Can I just put it to you as plainly as I can? Satan has posted guards at our heart, at the the walls of the wounded places in our heart. But when the power of God descends into your life in in a tangible, powerful way, those guards are not even a match for our God. They're not even a match so much that they don't even make the scripture because nothing can stand against our God. There is no weapon that is formed against us that can prosper, it says in Isaiah. Post guards all you want to, Satan, is what I'm reading here. But when I come down and I interact with my children, and they meet me in a place of surrender there's no guard, there's no Satan there's no devil in hell that can stand up to what I want to do in their lives, there's no guard that can keep me out stand with me this morning and so what happened that morning is the stone was rolled away as that light began to pierce the darkness of a tomb where dead things used to lie, that a life-giving breeze flowed into that tomb where at one point a stone had blocked that life-blowing wind. And that morning, as, as Mary and the disciples ran to the tomb to find it empty, there was proof there that morning that life can begin again. There was proof there that day that there was no weapon that could stand against our God when His Spirit moved. There was proof there that day that our Savior is a wall crusher. He's a stone roller. He's a deliverer. He's a healer. Matthew 28, 5-6, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear ye not, which is a good thing to say. When you're coming, to, you're coming and you're expecting a stone to be there and you're coming to weep for the dead person that you're coming to weep for, but the stone is gone and there's an angel sitting on it and the one you came to weep about is gone, fear not is a good thing to say. And I want to echo that this morning. I don't, I don't know many of you here This might be your first time in a setting like this and you're like, why is this guy yelling? He's so excited about this. I'm excited about it because I used to live a life full of regret and pain I used to suffer from addictions and things that would drag me down on a weekly basis. But one day I got the courage up in a moment just like this to take and shed all the fear that I had about who was there and who was looking and how uncomfortable I was in this moment. Because inside where the enemy has posted guards over that place of our heart, he knows when God is getting close and moving in. And what we feel a lot of times is a nervousness or a fear and for some re- and for some of us we just can't wait to hit the back door. but what that all says to me is that in a moment when I invite you to come forward to an altar this morning to uh, to begin to just seek God and, and, and to begin to bring these things and to begin to let him help you roll some stones away, what that says to me is the enemy is nervous because he knows you're this close. So I'm here to tell you today, fear not. You have nothing to fear this morning because there's a better you on the other side of this moment. God is here right now and he's ready to work in our hearts and in our lives today. So. What I'd ask for us to do right now, and I've got about one minute worth of things I want to say, but I want us to start preparing our hearts and I want us to make up in our mind right now that in a minute when I invite all of us to come, that you will take a step of faith and it might feel risky, but fear not. And that when you get here, you'll just lift your hands to heaven and that you begin to talk to Jesus and begin to ask him to take the things that you've carried for too long, the weights of regret, the pain, the wounds, those things, and he will start to take Take those things, and that that stone will be rolled away. I'm just going to skip the rest of that. So it was August 6, 2009. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching a grown man bleed out from a bullet wound over his left eye. And I'd always been that kid that had laid in bed at night. You can call me weird if you want. Just wait till after church. And wondered if I was ever in a situation where everyone was looking at me, if I was ever in a situation where I could proclaim the name of Jesus in a very public way, would I have the courage to do it? And as I sat there and I watched that man bleeding, something rose up inside of me that said, that's a soul that's getting ready to go to a place I don't wanna have anything to do with. And I just remember kneeling down next to him. I went home that night with his blood on my pants and my shoes. But all I did, and there's nothing powerful about Nathan, but there's a power factor in this God that we're getting ready to worship in a second. I knelt down, I put my hand on his chest, and I said, I'm going to pray for you, okay? Okay. And everybody was standing there watching and the paramedics were getting ready to come in and I simply just said, in the name of Jesus, I release your life right now into this body. And I saw his eyes roll back in his head and I stepped back and his eyes closed and I thought I killed him. But the next day when the detective called me, he said, are you Nathan Thompson? I said, yes sir, I am. He said, I wanna tell you that the man that was shot in the back room of the store is still alive. And for the first two hours, the the Billings Police Department interviewed him. All he would talk about is what he felt go through his body when you laid your hand on his chest and said in the name of Jesus. And that same resurrection power is here right now. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. There is a God who loves you. You're not here by accident today. And so I wonder if we can just bow our heads right now and let's prepare our hearts to respond to what you've heard today. Jesus, I pray right now over each person that's here. God, I pray right now that you would give us the courage in a moment like this to take a step of faith, that you would give us the courage right now in this moment, God, to allow the floodgates loose in our hearts, the things we've carried for so long we don't need to carry again. God is here today to tell someone that life can begin again in your life. And so what I want to do right now with everyone here, I want to invite all of us right now at once just to. a step down to the front of this altar. Whether this is a whether this is a concept that you've heard a thousand times, or it's your first day today, I want to invite you to come. Don't be don't be scared. No one's going to jump you up here. Nothing's going to happen. This is just about you and Jesus right now. And I want you just to begin when you get here to lift your hands and begin to talk to Him about those places in your heart that have been walled off for way too long. I want you to bring your regrets to Him. I want you to bring, begin to bring every wound or every disappointment that God has ever ever allowed in your that you felt that God has ever allowed in your life that you would bring every word spoken that you'd bring every regret today and it doesn't need to look pretty just let it out today because God is here and he's waiting to take it and we and he's waiting to to institute a strength exchange in your life today so go ahead and just cry out to him today Jesus I need you Oh, take those places in my heart. God, and make me new today. I release, oh God, that wall that's been held there. I give you permission to move in today, God. I give you permission to move into those dark places of my heart that I've kept everybody away from. Let your spirit touch my heart today. Let life spring forth again, oh God, in places that were dead. God, take my regret and my pain right now. Take, oh God, the sin and the shame, oh God, that I've allowed to, Lord, accumulate in my heart. Cleanse me, oh God. Deliver me, heal me, free me today, Jesus. Let your spirit move and work in the name of Jesus. Take, oh God, Lord, the addictions. Take, oh God, the sin that I can't get rid of, oh God. Remove it, oh God. I surrender myself to you. I repent, oh God. Lord, I acknowledge my need for you today.